All right, welcome to Therapize Podcast. Today we have a very special guest, licensed and marriage family therapist, Nicole Artst. Uh, well, welcome to the podcast, and yeah, let the people know who you are. Hi, thank you for having me. So, uh, yes, my name is Nicole Artst. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I practice out of Southern California. I just released my first book, Sometimes Therapy is Awkward, which basically chronicles the nuances of working in mental health. I run a meme page on Instagram, Psychotherapy Memes, which provides humor as well as some education for therapists about what our field entails. And last but not least, I work as a mental health writer and own a content writing business, providing different written content for therapists and other mental health professionals. Awesome. Well, welcome and thank you for putting out the great content, content, which we will dig into a little bit later. And one of my big questions I want to start with, because I think especially in California, it's still very present, depending on where the listeners are at, but the pandemic's still going. So schools are still closed here. Uh, I don't know what it's like in every other state. I know certain states are fully open, um, but there's some patterns that have erupted, especially in the work I do. So I'm curious about uh, most specifically, kind of the ongoing isolation that's going on with kids, with families, maybe the lack of community. Uh, any patterns you've kind of seen? I know you might have been away from the work for a little bit, but um, I'm sure you're still very aware <laughs> of what that ongoing isolation could kind of maybe, um, how that can impact our mental health. Yeah, so I'm curious to what you think on that. Yeah, and so we... We're in such an unusual time right now. I mean, they keep throwing around the word unprecedented and it's so fitting because never before in in any of our lifetimes have we had such forced long periods of isolation and we are seeing effects for all ages, you know, starting from, you know, those itty bitty toddlers up into our geriatric population and what we know is that isolation can have profound effects on mental mm-hmm. health. It can exacerbate symptoms of depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, we're seeing higher rates of substance use, disordered eating, um, generalized anxiety. The pandemic itself is, is scary, right? You know, people are, are losing their lives. They're getting sick. They're afraid of getting mm-hmm. sick. That's compounding the stress. There's been a lot of political tension over the past year. It's not necessarily new tension, but I think it's been more at the forefront than Mm -hmm. we've ever really been used to in America. And so all of these variables are stressful. And what's one of the best ways to counteract stress? Support. Mm -hmm. And that's being taken away from us a lot of times through isolation. So you know, the benefit is we have te- we have technology, and I think that's one of our saving graces. You know, um, we can we can video chat with loved ones, we can send a text, we can share a meme, <laughs> and I think those small bits for connection make a big difference. At the same time, I think we're recognizing more and more you cannot fully replace face to face interaction for sure and touch. I mean, it sounds kind of insignificant yeah. holding someone's hand, giving them a hug goodbye, you know, even touching their their shoulder to say hello. Mm-hmm. And I think we're in a time where people are starving for touch right now, too. Um, and it, it's going to be really interesting to see what these long-term effects are. I, I'm very curious to see what kind of research evolves out of this, and especially with children. You yeah. know, we, we've never had school shut down in this capacity, and... Bless our teachers, you know, for making all these changes and adapting to times, but it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's hard. And we also, one last thing, we thrive with routine. And uh, this pandemic has completely thrown most of us outside of our usual routines. And we're like kind of forced to scramble to make a new schedule. And again, all of this causes stress. And a lot of times, we rely on various coping skills, such as reaching out for support yeah. to mi- mitigate that stress, and that option just isn't as feasible right now. So it's been rough, long yeah. story short. Yeah. <laughs> it's been rough for, I think, most people. I think you covered so much of the themes that have come up for my work, and, I, and I'm glad that that it's we can sit here and talk about it, because I think one thing that was 
uh, you just named there is we we don't have the access to what we used to, whether it just be the support in person um, or going to the gym. Maybe that was your big kind of getting steam off or even community at the gym, a sense of community that was separate right. from maybe work or things like that. And some of my work recently has focused on, um, I think, being a little bit easier on yourself that you're not necessarily thriving because, let's name it, a lot of these things that were working for you aren't accessible right now. And you can do what you can to text and reach out and all of that. And I think that's great. Do what you can to stay connected. And also, at the same time, hold that. It, it probably still won't feel the same as it used to until until that is accessible again. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think something that maybe isn't talked about enough is there's a grief process mm -hmm. in, in some of this and grieving the things that you're missing out on or the events that you had planned or the vacations that you had scheduled. And I think a lot of us want to discount that grief um, because we'll do this downward comparison. Oh, right. you know, I didn't die or this person has it so much worse. I didn't lose my job. And yes, there's, there's such benefit in acknowledging our gratitude. Nobody's going to deny that, but it's important to recognize that sometimes grief has its place and it's okay to honor that right now because a lot of us were missing out on things that we really treasured. And even if, like you said, the gym, like there's a grief process with mm -hmm. things that may feel very basic that yeah. we, we didn't even realize had such an important part of our lives. And yeah, it's okay if you're grieving your gym classes right now. Yeah, I mean, kids losing a full school year of of not just seeing friends, but uh, making projects together. I know school's not all that fun for a lot of kids I work with, but there are those aspects that they they miss. Prom, yep. dances, football games, you know, um, sports, all of that stuff. Yeah, and not seeing loved ones for an extended period of time, and and Definitely. yeah, I think grief is is definitely not talked about enough and and i think it is because of that right we go whoa i didn't lose my life or i don't know anyone that has so my my grief isn't validated here but it is you know then that's that, that almost is that survivor's guilt kind of thing like i don't have a you know and i've struggled with it immensely during this period feeling like i'm not allowed to grieve because i have so many blessings and right. um i've realized I mean, since this pandemic, I think has gone on longer than any of us intended that I'm not doing myself any favors by trying to negate how I feel. My yeah. feelings are my feelings and, um, they're okay. They're yeah. Okay. They're valid. I, I think that's such a, uh, such a beautiful point to land on with that. Um, because I've seen a lot of that, um, not just with the kids I work with, but some of the, the adults, um, that are not allowing the space for that. And then. It just continues their own suffering, and um. yeah, I agree. Um, it, it's hard because you put yourself in a lose-lose situation for sure. When, um, you're feeling all this guilt for how you feel, but at the same time, you're you're struggling and you're suffering, and um, that's why it is still important to reach out for support, even if it's not in the most traditional face-to-face -face sense. Even if that's not an option, you know, it's trying to use what resources you can to make sure that you're connecting to people who can help you feel more loved. Mm -hmm. Now with that, with that idea of community, I think it's a good segue to transition into social media broadly, but online communicating, uh, I, it's one of those things that's tricky for me because I think it is, it's just tricky in general. There's benefits to it and then there can be some unhelpful components. And then you also probably know this very well. You you know you have a, a, a popular meme page and are active on social media. I think let's we'll definitely get to some of the benefits, but my, uh, maybe we'll start off with what might be some of the drawbacks of uh, that might come out of the our relationship with social media, especially as it increases potentially because we are having less of a relationship of in person interactions. I mean, the big thing that comes up for me when you're asking this question is the FOMO phenomenon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're missing out. And so what happens when we log on to Facebook or Instagram or whatever social media platform we prefer? We see the highlight reel 
of everybody yeah. else's lives and everybody else is doing just great in this pandemic you know everybody yeah. else is you know crushing the game um they're killing it right mm-hmm. and so what does that trigger within us usually feelings of inferiority incompetence anxiety depression um resentment mm-hmm. even and i don't know about you but i don't particularly love sitting in those kinds of feelings no. um they're they're very they can feel very defeating and i think that's one of the big drawbacks of social media is that it's not real in right. many ways we can curate a life for ourselves on there and create an identity a persona that fits what we think other people want to see and even though we logically know it's not real i think we still forget yeah <laughs> and Right? Like, I'm guilty of it. I'm like, oh, this person is perfect. Like, they look beautiful. They have a perfect life. They have this great job, a great house. And it suddenly becomes this thing of, like, why do I suck? And why don't I have what they have? And so I think that's one of the big drawbacks. And right now, with so many of us at home, screens are easy. They're convenient. And, you know, it's kind of easy. I think for the first time I've heard that word doom scrolling this year. Oh, Um, yeah. Have you heard that term, the doom scrolling, where you're just like consuming media and you almost can't stop compulsively? And I think that can be an effect of social media because nowadays a lot of people want to share articles and Mm -hmm. share political or just controversial beliefs and you almost get caught up in that. Yeah. Sometimes that then keeps you up at night or it starts affecting your relationships with like the people you live with. Uh, You start procrastinating. (laughs) Um, and so I think that's one of the big drawbacks of, of our social media era right now. Um, I, I, I guess I'll stop there because I'm, I'm wondering what you have on that. Yeah, I, I did a, well, I do these therapized doses that I call them, which are like 15 minutes or less of me just speaking solo on a topic. And I did one on social media and yeah, that was one of my main points as well as, uh, especially with the doom scrolling is there's so much information that we can consume so rapidly now and yeah. the more we consume I, th- I think generally the worse we're gonna be at at consciously kind of um, assessing that information so we're gonna have to rapidly make judgments and categorize it and yeah. then it could get to this point where if it's me that's doing it now I'm re- I'm living my life based off of the reality that I see in in this phone or computer and I've gotten away from, to your point, maybe what is the life that's in my physical world that I might be missing? What's the evidence that I'm overlooking now, <laughs> you know? Right, right. Mm. and I think it's so easy to lose the present moment when we're trying to capture it. Yeah. You know? um, and, and there's a pressure to do that in some ways, and I think it's it's hard to sometimes get away from that, especially if that's what your peer group does mm-hmm. or if that's what's very normalized in, in your society. Um, it seems like that's the right thing to do to, to basically document every moment. And I don't know, it just creates a lot of pressure to make these perfect moments when sometimes life's not perfect. And yeah, on the doom scrolling, I completely agree with you. I mean, there's, you can find limitless information and our ancestors would, I, I really wonder what they would think, knowing that you could just <laughs> Google anything you wanted in the world, but you're getting millions and millions of results, and how do we know what's real What's real versus what's, it's very easy. As a writer, I know how easy it is for other writers to just throw up an article, you know, yeah. without even being legitimate. <laughs> and that's another point I want to tap into, but before that, I want to jump back to the beginning of uh what you were talking about the FOMO aspect and the comparison aspect I use Teddy Roosevelt's quote all the time in therapy I don't know how he was as a president because I wasn't around and I didn't like history class much but he says comparison is the thief of joy right and I think it goes in either direction if I'm comparing myself as better than someone I'm just kind of inflating my ego to a false sense uh, of, of feeling better of false sense of joy or happiness um, because I could look down upon someone again, really re- stealing my own joy uh, in the long term. And then on the opposite end too, if some, if I perceive someone as better or above me, again, then now I'm less than, and it's 
you know, we can only really compare ourselves to our old versions, our life, just yeah. to where we want to go. So I really like the point of FOMO. My wife is an introvert. I know like yourself, I believe, from reading your book. And she says one thing she's enjoyed, though. She's got JOMO, which is joy of missing out. She's like, I don't, I don't have to tell people. Oh. Yeah. She make that up? Yeah. I mean, she, she did. Maybe I'm sure other people probably used it somewhere, but Roma. you know, I definitely experienced Roma. I'm like, yes, I'm missing out on this. <laughs> I'm just gonna go read my book. Exactly. I got nothing to do. I'm gonna chill yeah. out. Um, but coming back though, now circling back to that, anything could be thrown on online, right? And and oh, I think yeah. especially right now. I as I look through my own po- um, podcast page, I see just floods of mental health information and advice and all of these things that, uh, oh, sure, some might be helpful, but it's also tricky to navigate. And who's behind writing that page? You know, or what are the credentials? So I, I seen that you've kind of called some of that out as well to kind of look out for that not all of these pages are <laughs> mental health professionals behind them. Yeah, yeah, people got to proceed with caution, and that's easy to say, but if you're, like, in a tough spot, and you're, or you're young, and may not know, um, you're really susceptible to falling prey to information that may not be legitimate, or may just be one person's opinion, and they're passing it along as fact, Right. not to say, like, that's just exclusive to the internet, I mean, we deal with that with books, TV, you know, that's probably, that's always been an issue. For sure. Um, but I think the online world exacerbates it to <laughs> degrees that did not exist before. Yeah, I mean, you can just get flooded with the advice over and over again or the person telling you how, you know, how to be less depressed in three ways. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> okay, you know. Right. I remember <laughs> when my husband and I were making a baby registry and I'm like, okay, we need a stroller. Here's 7 million articles <laughs> about which stroller I need. And I'm like... How do I pick? Yeah. Know, we, we almost call it, we had a term for it, uh, option paralysis, where mm-hmm. you're, just, you're flooded with too many options to the point where you can't decide. I'm sure there's more of a scientific term mm-hmm. for that, so I, I'm not, I, I can't cite my source, but <laughs> um, I think sometimes just having too much information or too many options or too many of anything can jeopardize um, our decision-making process. Yeah, and I could see that with, um, with the mental health kind of movement on online or Instagram where you might just get stuck in reading these quotes over and over again and it kind of just maybe gets you stuck from doing something. You're like, okay, I feel temporarily good because I, I read that and connected and then I'll look for the next one to kind of temporarily right. relieve me in it and it might not lead to action for that person. And that, that's that person's journey, but I, I can see that pattern developing at times. Yeah, I, I think we're almost addicted at times to seeking information rather than doing anything with the information. Yeah. I know at times I'm guilty of that where I almost just want to obsessively learn about something, but I don't actually implement the knowledge that I learn, you know, and so I don't know if you relate to that. Oh, for but, sure. Right? And then, yeah, it's like, where's the end point there? Yeah. What are you supposed to do with that information that you've now spent hours trying to trying to consume? And so... Um, it can definitely be a de- technology. I don't believe it's good or evil. I just believe it's a tool and it's up to us to learn how to use it responsibly and teach like our children, for instance, or our clients how to ideally use it responsibly as well. Absolutely. Now with that, I'll transition and I'll, I'll get off my, uh, my bashing social media, which any of the parents I work with of their teens, they know I, I'll, you know, I'll definitely bring about my concerns with social media for them. Uh, and, and, uh, but I bring up both, like, let's look at the pros and potentially the cons and let's just be aware. So let's talk about some of the pros because I've definitely seen some. Um, one of them being that the conversation about really difficult life experiences that are pretty common is happening. I've seen some people really be able to connect to a stranger. I mean, you know, you and I are strangers, but connect to a stranger of something very deep and personal, and it helped them both in their healing. But yeah, what are some positive effects here you see for people in regards to their mental health and getting connected through social media or online platforms? Definitely the connectivity um, that can come from one person sharing a vulnerable experience and another person 
literally just saying, hey, I relate. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of social media platforms, they have like special groups or forums or um, communities centered around a specific topic and that can provide invaluable support for someone who maybe doesn't feel comfortable talking about it in real life or they do feel comfortable talking about it in real life but nobody in their life relates to yeah. it. Um, they, they need support and it's having virtual support is can be so helpful and I mean we're both therapists we work mm-hmm. in the field but you and I both know therapy is not a fully accessible option for right. everybody I wish it was but I'm not going to sit here and pretend that you know anyone could just sign up today and go to therapy there's barriers a lot of times that people need to unfortunately work through um, and so to be able to go online for instance and share an issue and and get some practical support or validation or reflection um that can't be overstated yeah Um, that is another thing that comes to mind is just being able to strengthen friendships and relationships i have friends and family all around the world as i'm sure most of us do Mm -hmm. and it's hard to coordinate a phone call or a visit but (laughs) you know it's it's really cool to be able to just message them or send a photo for sure um that's so cool to just be able to send a picture. You know, back, you used to have to like print it out, put it in the mail, <laughs> you know, and put it in a photo album. Yeah. But I can send pictures of, you know, my, my child to, to family who live on the other end of the country or in a different country. And I can do that in three seconds. Yeah. Like, that's very, very cool. And I think when used appropriately, social media can provide like positive role models mm-hmm. um, and I know that's big I know that's big like on Instagram for example where they'll be kind of like these influencers who are passionate about a certain subject and they kind of act as inspiration to, to their followers and they may be teaching useful lessons I know there's quite a few who like promote the benefits of self-care or boundaries or you know, um, carving time for yourself and whether they're therapists or not there, yes, there can be a difference, but there's something really cool to be said about being able to look up to someone who's modeling positive behavior, right? Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. That may be attracting a crowd who otherwise may not have learned those lessons on their own. As for me, I've seen some really cool benefits of social media. I started making memes about therapy because (laughs) I'm very sarcastic and I have a very dark sense of humor about our job. And I I had made it on a personal page and then I decided really quick after making one or two, I was like, I should just make a separate page for this. I'm I'm a professional. I don't want my clients to see this. This was a couple of years back. And what happened was I started realizing, oh, other people feel this way. You know, other pe- other therapists feel at times inadequate or they feel anxious or they feel like they're unsure if they are making the right moves. Yeah. I think this is a pretty universal theme amongst yeah. therapists. And so for me, what it did was created almost a therapist community that's virtual. For um, sure. Where therapists are able to kind of feel safe and supported and validated, which is ironic because memes are very can be very angry sometimes and very like crude and crass but it's a cool dialectic that we have going and so i definitely noticed some positive benefits on my end with that i mean i've noticed it just being a fan of your page uh and it, it translates in your book as well because it it cuts to the rawness of being a therapist because there's this pretend idea at first and it's you know it's in your book a bit that we're like these magical healers and we're all well and no (laughs) and and realistically we're just another person and people can you know project these concepts onto us or these ideas of us and your page i i mean i i want really so i co-supervise a couple programs and i want all of them to like check out this page because it speaks so much to what they're going through and sometimes um, I have to do a little bit of mind reading with them to pull it out of them because I'm like, I, I sense it's going on in there somewhere. And right. and to see it on a broader scale, I think would help them so much. I, all, any growing clinician or ongoing clinician, um, it almost undoubtedly, when I read your book or when I've been reading your book or on your meme page, laugh or go, yeah, I remember those days or I just had that day, you know? <laughs> right, thank you. That's kind of the goal is, 
hey, I'm laughing because I relate to this and I'm not alone in this. And that's the cool part about social media. When, when used appropriately, there can be this resounding feeling of I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. And that's a big thing for people. It's a big thing for me at times to know, hey, I'm not alone. And I'd argue in the mental health space, just knowing that other people are having similar struggles, whether you're the therapist or a client or yeah. you fall somewhere in between, knowing that other people kind of understand what you're going through, can it's just, it can be so significant to our own growth. Yeah. And the, and, and this is, I think we, we might've been through this. We can be shy and I know you address in your book to, to share in group or, or, wherever when we're developing or even if you're just the individual and it's not related to being a therapist you can shy away from sharing what's going on because of shame and we want to maybe protect ourselves from that judgment and i mean what a great place on the meme page for therapists to go maybe i didn't share this in group but i shared it out here and i got great feedback and now read your book if you're a clinician listen to this and <laughs> Go back and share in group, group supervision. <laughs> but well, I, I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I remember at times being that therapist, and maybe you can relate to this, where, you know, I, I knew I should share something in supervision, but at the same time, you don't want to come across as sounding dumb right. or, or bad at your job. And it's it can become even more complicated if your supervisor is also maybe your boss, which I know has happened at certain agencies that I, I had worked at where I'm like, are you going to fire me over this? <laughs> that type yeah. of thing. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of therapists, we, we struggle with some people pleasing tendencies at times. And, you know, we want to make our clients happy. We want to make our supervisors or bosses happy. And so we don't want to make waves. We don't want to, we don't want to be seen for any, having any flaws, but that stunts our growth at the same time absolutely um, and it's hard to make progress as a clinician if you're not willing to address what's making you feel weak yeah it, it yeah. yeah we learn most from our mistakes right than to try to you know em embellish and brag upon our successes which can feel good don't get me oh, wrong okay. and we should absolutely identify our achievements i'm re referencing your book even more uh, and at the same time don't suffer in isolation. We all have a growth edge, therapist or not. And when we suffer in isolation, that problem kind of just grows bigger and bigger sometimes. So. Yeah, no, I agree. Isolation can be so insidious. And I always remind people to, to know that difference between isolation and solitude because mm -hmm. solitude can be such an act of self-love saying, hey, I, I'm choosing to spend time alone. I need this to recharge. Right. Whereas isolation is more of, it's more of a mental state of, I, I just need to be away. Mm -hmm. People are draining me. Life is draining me. Yeah. So you're not, I, I always use the word recharge to think of the difference. With solitude, you're ideally feeling re recharged. Isolation, that's not happening. You're just isolating. Right. You're, you know, and in many ways, that can lead to some deterioration emotionally. And kind of circling back to what we were talking about earlier with the pandemic, that's one of the biggest risks I see right now is just the social isolation or even physical isolation factors. And, and again, that's where social media in some ways can help. It, yeah. it does provide a little bit of bridge for connection. And I think we can take advantage of that as long as we're conscious of our intentions and, and moderate our consumption yeah. and be really mindful of the risk of FOMO and, like you said earlier, that comparison, which can be the thief of joy yeah. um, if we're not careful. Yeah, no, I, I think that the bridge is, is a good metaphor. I mean, I've had family members... Uh, use my podcast page as a bridge i'm like i would have never known that you've had my number for years but cool. you know it, it becomes less threatening sometimes to to bridge that gap over social media than to have that direct phone call and maybe expose your vulnerabilities face to face you know and, and I, I think it is it is helpful it's like that first progressive step uh towards seeking support that might be easier to access than knocking on the door of a therapist or if someone knocked on my door at home i'd be like <laughs> what yeah, who are yeah. you yeah I was like just telling my mother-in-law <laughs> yesterday about how we're at this phase now where if someone calls you your first reaction is are you okay hey, right. no oh, hi, hi. Yeah. like it's like you must have bad news why are you calling oh me? i know like, <laughs> and that's it's funny we're laughing but it's kind of awful i, I know i know <laughs> reaction is that 
if you're calling me spontaneously, my gut reaction is that something horrible has happened. Oh, I know. I literally <laughs> have been there even this week. Yeah. Um, uh, well, now, uh, and we already got into your work a little bit, and I, I want to dig in a little bit more, but I want to jump to the just the therapy in general. You know, the big part of my podcast or the movement is to destigmatize mental health or how we talk about it, embrace it, just de- destigmatize the topic. Um, and it kind of shows because I, I never get too pathological or clinical in how I talk. I really try to say baseline things that are common human struggles. With that, I'd like to kind of know what are some common themes you see of why people don't seek the help or seek therapy? Um, stigma definitely still exists. Uh, that's one of the big ones. If I seek therapy, it must mean I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. Or why do I need therapy? I have That's what friends are for. Yeah. You know, you oh, even yeah. see these signs. I was just at a place the other day where it's like ice cream is my therapy. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? I love ice cream. Like, I love ice cream. It's not my therapy, though. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it makes me feel good. But therapy sometimes is supposed to make you feel a little bad. <laughs> you yeah. Know, therapy sometimes <laughs> makes you feel a little bad. Um, so you feel good later on. But so that's one part is, right, that we still don't really understand a lot of times the benefits of therapy. And therefore, we tend to stigmatize what we don't understand. And this is a top-down problem. This starts mm. up with you know, the top legions of society. We have insurance constraints right. that make sometimes largely inaccessible. Um, or a client gets authorized therapy, but they're, guess what? You're only authorized four sessions. Um, oh. That's rarely that effective for most people. Yeah. Um, with that, why people don't seek therapy? Money. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't like to talk about it, but therapy can be expensive. Mental health care can be expensive. I'm pretty outspoken about my issues with the barbaric healthcare system in Mm -hmm. America. This isn't a secret of mine. Um, I think it's awful and it affects mental health as well. It's just, it's hard to get good care. Um, Or what I think of the medical model, there's a big belief, oh, you have depression. Here's an antidepressant. Mm -hmm. Here's a few cognitive behavioral therapy sessions. You should be cured. Right. you have a reduction in symptoms. What's the problem? And as we know, mental health is so much more nuanced than that. For sure. Those are the two big barriers um, that I tend to see the most often just in my practice and in general. Um, I was actually just talking about this on a Q&A last night on Instagram. <laughs> the third issue being sometimes people have bad experiences in therapy. Um, you may have worked with a therapist who didn't align mm. with your values or who didn't um, provide you with very ethical care. I don't like to speak poorly on colleagues, but I do know that there's therapists out there who aren't doing work well. Right. And it does. It, it can really it can turn off someone from therapy forever. Um, a single bad session can can really traumatize someone. Yeah, and so and then fear, fear of course, sharing my secrets with someone else, being vulnerable. What if they judge me? I think those are big emotions that come out and. And affect people from wanting to get help. Absolutely. One I want to pull out of your book as well, because as I was reading it, the very first chapter is about what therapy isn't, and <laughs> and and I think absolutely we all need to read that as therapists. But I also thought it very helpful for a prospective client to read and think about, because sometimes when we go in, into something, especially something very potentially very vulnerable and overwhelming like therapy. Uh, if we go in false expectations, we can be disappointed really quickly and go, forget that, I'm never going back. And Absolutely. and with that, I'm going to talk about specifically advice, <laughs> one of the myths, we don't give advice. And kind of tied to that is like that we don't solve the problems as the therapist, right? It's really up for the client to find their solutions with us uh, using certain types of questions to see how they can get there and, and that but I want to talk about that theme for a sec because for the person listening, and I've had clients like this where they come to me and go, they push me for an answer and to tell them what to do. Uh, for the novice uh, client or someone thinking about it, why as therapists don't we do that? Why don't we give advice or solve problems for them? <laughs> advice? Okay, we talked earlier about the internet. Google it. Like you could find your answer. Yeah. You could find seven ways to cure your depression. 
you can find eight ways, even <laughs> nine ways, twenty five ways. Um, Self help is not in you know a shortage. We we can find that most of the time. I also argue clients mm. know exactly what to do. Exactly. Therapy explores why we aren't doing it. Yes. And <laughs> what's making it hard to do, yeah. and why are we afraid to do it, and what if I do it and I'm still not happy? Therapy explores everything around it. Um, and I, I always give clients the benefit of the doubt. Is that usually again we know what to do or we have an idea. Yeah. Um, and also beyond that, I don't have the answers. I don't know what's best for you. Right. I mean, if you ask me, should I break up with my boyfriend or girlfriend? Who am I to say yes or no? Yeah. You know, I don't want that responsibility. What I do want to do is have a conversation mm-hmm. and discuss it and explore that and process that and reflect on what would happen if you broke up with your boyfriend or girlfriend. What would happen if you didn't? Um, so you feel confident in coming to your own conclusions about what to do next because good therapy is about self-empowerment. Right. It's about giving clients tools and resources and confidence to make decisions. Good therapy is finishing with me. Yeah. You know, is that you no longer need me as much. Yeah. You're able to make those decisions on your own and, and build meaningful relationships with other people who can give you guidance. Um yeah, so advice is easy. Yep. <laughs> It'd be the easy way out. If all, if all we did was give advice, um, we'd have very simple jobs, but we wouldn't have jobs. Yep. You'd go one session and be cured. Yeah. <laughs> it worked that way. Yeah, and the moment we give advice as, as therapists, we, we rob the client of the opportunity to grow and empower themselves, to, to, to live their lives the way they, they want. Um, absolutely, absolutely. And... It's also, um, it's just arrogant to assume that we even know the right advice to give or that we know the perfect answer because humans cannot be categorized in simple boxes. Right. And, and doing so kind of misses the point of why we do what we do. Yeah. And there was another point you said so well in that that I also want to highlight was... Um, most people know what to do. We want to really explore why they aren't doing it, you know, and what's getting in the way of it. Because the solution usually is the simple thing. And I, I my, my clinicians that I supervise are probably tired of hearing me say this this past two weeks. But I, we've been really focused on not rushing into like solution exploring of really staying with the curious phase of what what is uh, what do these patterns mean? What do the decisions mean to the people that they're working right. with? And I gave the simple exam- example. Let's say someone's trying to quit um, smoking cigarettes, right? Everyone knows it's a bad habit. Very simple. And there's so many cessation programs. That's the solution, right? But what happens? People continue to smoke over again. And- right. Actually, if you simplify <laughs> it even more, the solution is just quit. Right. Just, just quit. Stop. Yeah. Just- Stop smoking cigarettes. Yeah. That's your advice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How helpful is that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so unhelpful. But then we want to explore why aren't they doing that? What's getting in the way? When they think of quitting smoking, what comes up for them? What thoughts? What benefits are they getting from smoking? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, what What does it say about them as a smoker? What does it say about them if they're not a smoker? There is, and, and that's where the cool work goes. Right. You know, because, and it sounds like you're similar to me in that you got to learn how to focus on the process. And so a lot of clients come in and they want to focus on specific details. And it's our job mm. to avoid getting lost in specific details and focus on big pictures. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's not just about maybe the uh, stopping cigarettes. It's about, well, where else do you struggle with stopping behaviors in life? You mm-hmm. know, what was another time where you wanted to stop doing something and couldn't do it? Where was a time where you could? You yeah. Know? And that's how... That's how change really happens. And when I mean change, I mean sustainable change because it's easy to do something for a day mm-hmm. or, maybe a week, or maybe even a couple months. But to truly grow as a human, we have to recognize those deeply rooted patterns. And that's what they're good therapists do. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the sustainable change usually starts internally where no one can see it yet. You know. Right. And in fact, it feels like you're not doing anything. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Or you may feel like you're even going backwards because you're like, why am I not progressing? And I think going back to what you said, why don't people seek therapy? I think sometimes that can be it too, where they kind of stop before the miracles start happening. Mm-hmm. 
because you're like, oh, I've been doing this for X amount of sessions. Why don't I feel better? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes. Why do I feel worse? Yes. Nicole, why am I not cured yet? I've been here for a month. <laughs> you know. And I'm guilty of it. Yeah. As a client, I mean, I've been in therapy for a long time, and I will bitch to my therapist mm-hmm. like, we've been talking about this for years. Why have we not fixed? You know? And it's hard. We're we're impatient. We want results, and that's another thing about therapy is the results are not. I talk about this in my book. They're not super concrete a lot of the times. You know, like I say, I think I use the example if you go to the mechanic. They know what's wrong with your car. They'll mm-hmm. give you like a diagnostic report. You pay for it. Your car's fixed. You should be good to go. Right. The human brain is not that simple. <laughs> no. You know? um, and, and you may fix one issue only to realize, oh, I have this other issue that I haven't even talked about, but now I'm realizing that's a problem. And like, that's even bigger than this other issue that we already saw. Yeah. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Up. All right. Now, nearing the end here. Uh, but I have a few specific words or phrases that I think have really um, gotten a lot of maybe emphasis, especially maybe in the the online mental health kind of pop psychology stuff that I think sometimes are mis uh, maybe miscommunicated, misunderstood, misrepresented. And I want to get your take on them because you you talk about this somewhat with countertransference in your book where it's maybe not always explained in the way that is most beneficial for the therapist to understand. And so I have three words or phrases that I want your take on because I do think they're integral to therapy. And the first one is acceptance. My problem with that, and I'll let you go, is... is uh, the problem, well, I'm not my problem with acceptance. The problem I see in it explained is that it can be misrepresented as kind of uh, giving up, um, right. just going, okay, like uh, almost taking a victim-like stance. And that's not what it is at all. And when I see it explained that way, it really frustrates me because when, then it, it loses its the, the empowering part of it. <laughs> so. I agree. Acceptance <laughs> is such a tricky concept. Um, and yeah, I think it gets really watered down too. I I didn't really fully understand Mm -hmm. it when I first learned it. I think I'm still in some ways really (laughs) learning what acceptance is in my own life, but yeah. So acceptance means acknowledging a situation for what it is. Mm -hmm. Like that's really the, the basic form of acceptance. So with that, it doesn't mean you have to like the situation. It doesn't mean you even respect the situation because you may have to accept for example someone someone really hurt you Mm -hmm. you owe that person forgiveness or respect if if you don't want it and so i think acceptance is such an act of bravery which Mm -hmm. is kind of the opposite of giving up because you're basically saying i'm choosing to no longer fight this alternative or i'm sorry i'm choosing to no longer fight this reality and try and go for an alternative reality i'm just choosing to to honor it for what it is i'm not going to let it have power over me Mm -hmm. anymore i'm going to try to integrate this into my life and move forward and that's fucking bold yeah yeah i I can curse on here sorry you you Um, can (laughs) it's fine (laughs) i I was hoping so i mean if you follow my page i I, I, I curse and as a therapist yeah but uh, yeah that's bold and so in many ways, like giving up is when you keep trying to change, change, change. At, at that point, you're you're running yourself sick. Right. You're angry. You're resentful. You're fearful. You're in in many ways, you're a victim still to that circumstance. Um, so no, acceptance does not mean giving up. Acceptance just means leaning in, leaning into what it is. I love it, uh, and thank you so much for the clarification because, it, it, like I said, it can get so watered down and and muddied. I see the opposite of acceptance as we get into a denial place. Like, I can't let this reality exist. And I think sometimes what happens then is then we aim to control the parts we can't control. We then feel more powerless, more frustrated, right? More hopeless about things changing because we haven't accepted the reality for what it is. And when I've seen people get to acceptance, whether in my personal life or even my own experience or in therapy, it allows them to then actually shift their focus to the parts they can control and feel more empowered that they can respond in a way that it at least is the best response for them. 
now getting away from trying to control the aspects they can't because when we try to control those parts we can't we are kind of in a place of not accepting right we're denying i won't allow this to be this way i will control it and we've all been there oh (laughs) absolutely there is no perfect acceptance (laughs) i mean and something i talk about pretty regularly with clients is that acceptance isn't a one-time event right just to accept something and forever accept it you may have to accept it multiple times a day an hour yeah i mean and and it's okay at times to still slip into that denial or that anger that's human yep i mean we're not robots but trying to ground yourself back into i am always happier when i am accepting yeah i'm just it's pretty much guaranteed yeah i feel lighter and happier and more confident when i can accept the reality that that I'm facing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, such an such an important thing in therapy, and I'm glad uh, to hear your explanation as, as well because I, I do think it's one of those words that we need to give it its proper justice in the especially in the mental health world. All right, you ready for my f- phrase number two that I sometimes kind of guess like what's, <laughs> what are we gonna get here? Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> All right, self care. Of course, I mean it is everywhere. Um, and again, one of those terms that's getting transformed and watered down, misconstrued, yeah. misrepresented. And one of the parts I don't like about how I not I'm not gonna say what I don't like about self care, but what I don't like about its representation sometimes is that it's 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 again phrased as in in a not necessarily a one-time thing, but but maybe sometimes, but like a checklist item of my day. Oh, great, I did my self-care today, yeah. or I did my self-care this week, and it's just a one event. And what I talk to my clinicians about a lot is it, it's really a, a mindset and a lifestyle. It's everything you do can be in can be at any time in the act of self-care. And a lot of it can simply be internal. How I talk to myself is self-care how i leave a session and take one minute to go this is what i'm feeling this is what i can leave here that is self-care i don't need to go do a one hour yoga but like all right i will be stressed until i get to my yoga session today and that's my big problem with how it's represented sometimes because then people buy into that model sometimes and it burns people out so you're taking words <laughs> literally out of my mouth because I'm always talking about the mindset of self-care. Um, it, it's not just bubble baths and the one-hour <laughs> yoga classes, although those can be a form of right, self-care. Right, absolutely. But when you have the mindset of self-care, uh, uh, excuse me, when you have the mindset of self-care, you naturally lean into more self-compassion mm-hmm. and gratitude and um you listen to your intuition more, which means you inherently make decisions that honor your needs. And so that day it may be, I have a meme about this, mm-hmm. you know, at some points it's, you're doing that yoga class because mm-hmm. you need it and you're meditating that day. And other days you're going to be eating hot pockets in bed. Uh-huh. That's what you need, yeah. you know, and that's okay. And there's space for both. And self-care is something I, I definitely struggle with it. Mm-hmm. I, I have perfectionistic tendencies. I have control tendencies, (laughs) um, and I don't think I'm alone in that as a therapist. (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) I definitely fall prey to that super harmful myth that self-care is selfish. You Mm -hmm. know, I think that's something a lot of women struggle with, and same with therapists. You know, we we teach it to our clients, but I think we struggle with it sometimes in our own lives because maybe we feel very overextended at work or right. and then we have to come home and, and take care of things, take care of our family. So we kind of like, there's no time for self-care. And that's where having that mindset is important because if that's your, if that's the energy that's flowing through you and those are the thoughts that are exuding from you, you just naturally start doing things to take care of yourself. You set boundaries yep. with people. You know, you speak more, you speak kindly to yourself. You say no to things, mm-hmm. which is big. Um <laughs> And again, then those simpler things like deciding I need a I need a bubble bath today, or I'm gonna have a nice dinner tonight, or I'm gonna go to bed early. Um, those just kind of naturally fall into place, right? So as I hate cliches, but mm. I'll say this cliche: like self care mm. is a journey, mm-hmm. um, and it's not a single destination. You don't just get there, and it's not 
and not something to put on your to-do list. <laughs> Although if you're like me, you might actually benefit in some ways because I always have a bajillion things right. on my agenda. And sometimes you do need to prioritize it and yep. say, no, this is non-negotiable. I do need this hour to do my to do this workout or to call a friend or go on a walk because that's something I need for me and I deserve that. And so I love that we're having more conversations mm-hmm. about self-care because I know that's a new thing in society. Mm-hmm. And I think even if people are sort of getting it wrong, it's still better than nothing. But yeah, it, it's not just a single treat yourself type mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's having a mindset of loving yourself yeah. and putting your needs first and doing the things that honor what's best for your self-interest sometimes. Yeah. I, I like the phrasing you said there of, you know, having kind of that consistent honoring and of your own needs, because especially as therapists, we can tend to get in that maybe codependent place where we keep putting the needs of others before ours. We burn ourselves out and then you go, well, let me take this vacation. But then you come right back to the same pattern that's going to quickly burn you out. <laughs> I've been there and I'm like, oh, once I get away, it'll be all fine. Yeah. Half the time you still are like at work mentally and yeah. then you have one day to come back home and <laughs> you're back in it and you're, all, you're checking your email the whole time and that's not really self-care. No, 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 it's not. You probably actually made yourself feel worse overall. But uh, yeah, and for people who are listening, self-care can be small. It can start small. Absolutely. Like you can start saying, what do I need right now? Do I need rest? Do I need to eat something? Mm-hmm. You know, even just listening to your basic biological needs. For sure. A lot of us struggle with that in general. And so starting there, I think, can be a really good foundation to build on. Yeah, absolutely. All right, third and last but not least, you want to take a stab at what it might be before I tell you? <laughs> Thinking maybe boundaries. Oh, that's a good one. It's not on here, though. Okay, but okay, th- that's the one. That's the word <laughs> of the, the decade as well. I... I did play with that being my third one, though, um, especially okay. reading your book, because it is one of those ones, and I think we should just do it anyways right now, but <laughs> it is it is one of those ones that uh, gets thrown around a ton, but what the hell does it mean? You know, what does it mean sometimes? So hard. I was just <laughs> writing this massive article for one of my clients about it, and I had to revise my own definition a few times. Basically, they're just, they're the limits that you set to protect yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and it's expectations, I'm sorry, not expectations, mm-hmm. guidelines you have for how you want other people to treat you, you yeah. know, and so I, I was just using this metaphor, it's kind of like your front door, you can open and close it, at times you may leave the door unlocked, mm-hmm. at times, like at night, you might padlock it, just to be safe, <laughs> you know, and there's people in your life that are going to knock on the door, there's other people who are going to just walk right in because they're family and that's comfortable, Yeah. So, um, and so, but boundaries are hard. They are. It could be a whole podcast in and of itself. Boundaries are hard. They are a work in progress. For sure. Um, but they are essential for healthy relationships. They're essential for your self-esteem. And if you're a therapist listening to it, it is the bulk of a lot of therapy that you have to do with your clients because you are in charge of modeling good boundaries for your clients because many of your clients will have never had good boundaries in any of their relationships yeah yeah one of those being if you call me after 5 p.m and this is what i try to impart upon every growing clinician that i I supervise because i ran into it so many times if you call me after 5 p.m i'm likely not available but in my first couple years i answer any phone call they have and then i'm i'm always working technically and thinking and but you're also (laughs) enabling it exactly you know, we all play a part in the boundaries that we set yeah. or don't set. And so it's almost unfair to get mad at the intern for calling you because you've never told them not to. Exactly. Exactly. You know? um, and then so a lot of therapists will ask me, like, well, how do I end sessions on time? Or how do I accept, ask for payment? Or how? And I'm always like, it's your job. Yeah. It is not the client's responsibility. Yeah. It, is, it is your job to model those boundaries. And so I know going to my own therapy has mm-hmm. helped having role models with people who have good boundaries mm-hmm. helps um just being able to identify my own needs helps mm-hmm. like that's the first step you gotta know what you want and know what your limits are yeah you can expect to share them with others um and reminding yourself of the benefits because boundaries can be hard people aren't always going to want to respect them people may um 
even get upset with you for setting boundaries they may think you're being selfish or mean that's that's a hard pill to swallow yeah you know struggle with wanting to please others which is something i i struggle with at times um so reminding yourself of why boundaries are important for your integrity yep. is is helpful absolutely all right so my, bonus one that was a <laughs> bonus one and now i'm like oh my now i'm thinking of this other one but i'll you know <laughs> i'll contain it I have one more, and it is mindfulness. Oh, yes. The other buzzword. Okay. Yes. See it all over the place as well. I'll stick to just one kind of, I think, misconception. that The main one I see, which is it being about clearing your mind and and that you're no longer experiencing racing thoughts. Which, I wish. I know. Me too. I mean. <laughs> Can I get that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it can be. That's what I tell people. Mm-hmm. For some people, I, I do know some people who can get into a really awesome meditative stance. Yeah. And with a lot of time, practice, and effort, they can get there where they're not experiencing really any thoughts beyond focusing on their breath. But that is not the only flavor of mindfulness. And right. I would argue that's more of the exception than the rule. Mindfulness just really at its core refers to consciously being in the present moment yep you know and that sometimes goes back to that earlier board you said which is acceptance accepting that mm. okay i'm having these thoughts right now they're they're right here mm-hmm. hi good to see you yep type thing i'm not going to give you much attention right now because i'm focusing on this it's a, i think a lot of times mindfulness is more of like redirection you're saying i want to be present mm-hmm. but I'm maybe having these feelings or thoughts so i'm going to just try and acknowledge them but not engage them yeah um and mindfulness is hard. It is. <laughs> like I struggle with mindfulness. I, I've always, I've always had a lot of pride in the fact that I'm like a diehard multitasker, which is the opposite <laughs> of mindfulness. But uh, you miss life if you're not being mindful of good moments, um, and, and so that means trying to avoid being distracted, trying to actively listen to people when they're talking, yep. taking in your senses. Meditating can be part of it, but sometimes it's even just taking a few deep breaths and reminding yourself of, okay, right now it's Friday afternoon at 1.04 p.m. and we're having a conversation. You yeah. Know? And it's it's really helpful for almost every mental health condition. My, um, excuse me. Mindfulness is like a great medicine for essentially everything that we struggle with in life. Okay. I don't think it's the cure. Right. And that's one of my pet peeves that I've seen on social media where people mm. like, oh, mindfulness is the answer for everything. No, right. it's not. It's, it's nice. It's cool. But it's not necessarily a substitute, for example, if you need medication or yep. if you need to get out of an abusive relationship or what have you. Um, yeah, I think if you're struggling a lot with ruminating over the past or obsessing whatever, what might happen to you in the future, mm-hmm. learning how to stay present, I mean, that's where we – there's that whole – I'm going to butcher it, but there's some quote about uh, – anxieties when we're living in the future depressions mm. when we're living in the past mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying oh yeah that is when we have peace and hopefully you can edit that for, for this podcast <laughs> and, and give the person the proper credit but uh i i always remind myself of that that we can find more peace when we're in the present moment so yeah i mean because to that point um and it took me i think a while to understand it as well the idea behind it because when when at the very beginning we talk about it being about clearing our mind or my my problem that people automatically think that is then they go to try it they quote unquote fail at it and then they stop trying it and i go whoa whoa, i don't want you to clear your mind necessarily but let's just sit here and pay attention to what's coming up for you we're just going to pay attention especially that with meditation i used to think i can't meditate yeah (laughs) all the time because i thought it meant having no thoughts You're totally right. It's sometimes about just being aware of those thoughts and maybe recategorizing them or noting them or saying, hey, I I see you. I'm going to put you over here. There's a lot of different visualization techniques you can do. And and you cannot fail at meditation, but you can learn to strengthen the practice over time. Right. It's like any other exercise. You're not going to master it the first time you do it. For sure. You're failing at it. And that... You said earlier too about the acceptance part. I noticed that being such a key part as well because the the fight sometimes because becomes oh my gosh I can't control I can't stop thinking about this 
and we're fighting against it, right? Mm -hmm. Versus go versus accepting of these are the thoughts that are coming into my head. And what yeah. and when we see people get to that place or when we see it ourselves, we actually find it easier to manage those thoughts. <laughs> but when we fight against it, they're going to keep coming and go, "Guy, I'm still here." <laughs> Whatever you resist will persist. There we go. <laughs> and yeah, the more we try to suppress something, the, the bigger it becomes. Yeah. And I think that's the big uh, misconception about meditation or mindfulness is that you just need to ignore everything and mm -hmm. like blank it all out. And I, that's why I said earlier, like sign me up. That sounds cool. I'd like that. But it just doesn't, our minds don't work that way. And thankfully they don't because otherwise we wouldn't be humans. We'd be some other creature I don't I don't know um, that's what that's our cognition for us that's our brains keeping us uh, helping us survive yeah. you know our thoughts are protecting us in many ways um, and so sometimes mindfulness can just be having gratitude for everything that's going on within mm -hmm. us even if it's you know not what we expected at that moment absolutely well, thank you, Nicole. I have one last question for you, and then we'll get into right. you reviewing your um, all of your resources that you have. Your final pitch or um, statement or PSA on mental health and therapy, either or, mix the two together. What do you want to say to the to the listeners about that? A therapy is a relationship, so if you're considering going to therapy, keep in mind that you may not find the right person right away. That doesn't mean that therapy is not a good option for you. It just means you may need to keep looking. And I know that can be incredibly frustrating, but it's almost always worth it. People mm -hmm. who have a good experience in therapy often can't rave about it enough. Mm -hmm. um, and there are there is a therapist out there who's ready for you and who will understand you and so stay open to the process and stay open to the experience um because yeah it's okay if it doesn't work on the first or even second try just do whatever you can ideally to stay the course and with time you should be able to find someone that that can support you on your journey i love it well i appreciate that all right, one last time. I know you said it in the beginning, but just let the listeners know where they can find your great resources. Thanks. Yeah, so I'm all over the place. Um, my most popular uh, location is Instagram, <laughs> at Psychotherapy Memes. We have the same handles for Facebook and Twitter. Uh, you can add me on LinkedIn if that's your thing. We have a Patreon. The information uh, for there is also on Instagram. It's, uh, it's Psychotherapy Memes. My book is available on our website, psychotherapymemes.com, and through most major channels, mm -hmm. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, Apple. And yeah, I, I also respond to email, so Nicole at psychotherapymemes.com. If you have any questions or comments or hate mail, that's the place to go. And this is what the book looks like for the viewers. Yeah. And yeah, I think a good ending statement is sometimes therapy is awkward. <laughs> Sometimes life is awkward. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this has been Guy Hernandez with Nicole Arts, both LMFTs, licensed marriage and family therapists in the same state, actually, of California. Thank you for listening and talk to you next time.